Recorded by The Way in Brea. Lead pastor Von Jarrett has a heart for the people at The Way and a desire to reach the lost. The Way's production department prays this message is a blessing to you and that you find yourself closer to God through application. Amen. Good morning, everybody. So uh, I appreciate Raymond and sharing and, and receiving our tithe and offering and us just continuing to move forward in uh, what God's been doing and what he has ahead of all of us. Um, you know, next week, not only are we going to be celebrating after service with, uh, with a lunch that the church is going to provide for everybody and, and a time of fellowship. So make sure you're here. You don't miss that. And, and call friends, call family to, to come and celebrate with us. But we also have a very special guest speaker next Sunday uh, that uh, I'm going to leave as a surprise for you. But I'm just going to say you don't want to miss it. Uh, just make sure that you're here and make sure that you come ready uh, just to receive all that God has for us. Amen? Amen. Amen. So uh, our series, this 10-year series uh, that we started two weeks ago, we're into our, our third week here. In week number one, we talked about slowing down and taking a deep breath. We talked about centering ourselves and being reminded about what matters most in our lives. And if you were here, if you remember, you know, we had the table up here and we had all these bricks and all these rocks and this cornerstone and how do we build and how do we build on, on, uh, on that cornerstone and on solid rock instead of on shaky ground and sinking sand. And uh, I just believe that, that uh, God moved during that particular uh, weekend, that particular service. I don't know about you guys, but I've been taking a lot of deep breaths over the last week or two, you know, just slowing down breathing, not getting anxious, not getting overwhelmed, and just reflecting on who God is and, and what God has been doing. So it's been good. In, uh, in week number two of our series, we talked about a drop in the ocean, that you and I are, are just a drop in the ocean, but we were reminded that the ocean is made up of drops, right? That we're important, that our drop truly does matter. Uh, not only you as an individual but, individual, but we also talked about as a church, you know, the way is just a drop in the ocean that represents God's whole body, his whole bride, all of the churches, all those that faithfully uh, serve the Lord Jesus. But our drop matters. At the beginning of service, uh, we heard an amazing testimony um, of God giving a dream and God giving a vision and, and how her sharing that with me and sharing that with our church was able to, to, to bring life into a situation and bring life into a circumstance and we have to be reminded, uh, I think at the end of that service, you know, we played that song. I don't know if any of you have been listening to it, but I'm, I'm still listening to that song all week. But it said, please don't quit now. You're almost there now, right? So for many of us, when we felt like quitting or we felt like giving up or we feel like maybe we're not gaining as much ground as we would like to be, you know, the Lord just reminded me and hopefully reminded many of you uh, not to give up, not to quit, to keep going, uh, that we're almost there. 
So this week, uh, it's the, the last 10-year message that I'm going to get to share uh, with you guys as far as me preaching. Like I said, we're going to have somebody else here to share with you guys next Sunday, and I'm excited about it. But what I want to do first is just pray um, over the service and over the series, over this 10 years, and then uh, also I want to share a, a quick video with you guys. So if you just bow your heads with me. Lord, we just thank you for being you, Lord. We thank you for loving us. We thank you that you are uh, in pursuit of us, Lord, that we are not uh, chasing you down. You are not hiding from us. You are not uh, being elusive, Lord God, that you are in pursuit of us, Lord. We thank you that um, you've had your hand upon this church. You've had your hand upon uh, the families, the individuals and the families who are represented here in this place, Lord, that many of us that didn't know you have come to know you, those of us who have come into this place uh, with a relationship with you have had that relationship strengthened and that relationship has grown and begun to flourish in many ways, Lord. Those of us who, who were orphaned in many ways, Lord, have found family and relationship, Lord. You say that you would do all these things and we're, we're seeing it, we're experiencing it, Lord God. We thank you that you are the God who establishes, Lord. You make men, you make women, you make families, you make churches. You said that you would build your church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it, Lord God. And we see you holding true to your word. This morning, I pray that you would continue that process in our lives uh, of establishing us, of giving us tenure, of reminding us that what you have, have built that the world cannot destroy, Lord God. What you have brought together, man cannot separate, Lord as we get into your word this morning, I pray that your spirit would move in this place. I pray that we would be encouraged, that we would be challenged, Lord God, that our, our hearts and our spirits would be awakened, Lord, out of sleep, uh, that we would just enjoy this passionate pursuit of you and, uh, and welcome you as you pursue us, Lord, that we'd open the door of our hearts and our minds this morning for your spirit to come in and dwell within us, Lord. We love you and we thank you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. amen.
right. <clears throat> so the title of this week's message is Unclaimed Wealth. Unclaimed Wealth. And if it had a subtitle, it would be We Know Not What We Have. <laughs> Unclaimed wealth and we know not what we have. Can you imagine that there's millions and billions of dollars out there that belong to people and all they have to do is claim it? It's sitting there waiting for them and they just haven't claimed it. I've looked back and reflected on the last 10 years in this church and everything that God has done, everything that we've been through, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I've really narrowed it down to just two things that I really want to do and two things that I really want to see over the course of the next 10 years. Number one is I want us to become a people who know what we have. A people who know what we have. And number two, I want us to become a people who are willing to share with others what they're missing. Very simple. You know, when you start thinking about your vision for your family, your vision for your life and your destiny, your purpose, all those things, sometimes I think we can have it be a little bit too complicated, too, a little bit too convoluted. For me, it's very simple when it comes to this church. I want to look out and say the people know what they have and that we are a people who want to share with others what it is that they're missing. When I say that, I don't want that to be some of us. You know how you look at a church and say, okay, well, that's for them. I'll try to learn what it is that God has for me, and then other people can share about what others are missing. No, I want us to be a whole church where everybody knows what they have, and everybody is concerned with letting others know what they're missing. <clears throat> when we talk about that, I don't want us to share the way. This church in Brea, what we have and what it is that people are missing is Jesus. Amen. He is the way. He says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. That's what our pursuit needs to be of, is of him, and that's what we need to be sharing with others. It's not, come to our church, you would love this place, and the people are great. Let me tell you about Jesus, <laughs> who he is, what he's done, and what he's still doing. Would somebody ask you about your faith? Do you talk about all that you've received? Do you talk about the church you go to? Do you talk about how you feel differently? Or do you say, let me tell you about Jesus. He's what I have. He's what I've gained. He's all that matters. A couple of weeks ago, I talked about on a Wednesday night, uh, I talked about church choirs. Now, we're not used to that because we don't really have a choir here in this church, but I'm sure you've all seen it. We've, we've seen it on TV where there's literally 100 people behind the four or five leaders uh, of the worship service, and that would be considered the choir. Sometimes they're dressed in the same kind of gown, sometimes they're not, and they have these little black microphones that hang down out of the ceiling so that the voice of the people can be projected and you can hear the choir. I said that our church, I feel like the, the choir is the whole church. You should imagine little microphones drop down everywhere so all of our voices can be projected. And to be honest with you, I believe that the church is going to continue to grow. God's going to do all kinds of stuff. And mark my words, we're going to do that. There's going to be microphones hanging down in the whole church, right? And then sometimes we're just going to cut these people off and we're going to lift these people up. And it's going to be amazing. <laughs> but the idea has to go beyond a worship service. What I'm talking about is everybody in the church being able to say, not only do we worship together, but all of us understand the value of the word of God. All of us understand that we're here about Jesus and not about the way in Brea. All of us understand that our friends, our co-workers, our family members 
acquaintances need to know what they're missing. And we don't depend on one person that we could call and say, hey, where's the evangelism team? Because there's somebody out here that needs to know the truth about what they're missing. No, we feel compelled to share as a whole, every single one of us. You know, I was thinking about it this week, how time changes things. When I got saved, I didn't want to say anything. I was shy in that sense of not knowing anything about God. And now things have just changed. In the last couple of days, you know, I went to the bank. The, I think the young lady's name was Jessica. I was getting, I was getting the money from her, and, and it took her a little while. And then when I was done, I said, hey, Jessica, can I, can I leave one of these with you? I gave her a flyer for the church. She said, okay, thank you. What's this? I said, it's for a church. And I know we're far because I'm all the way out in L.A. where I work. I said, you probably can't make it, but there's an app on there. And if you ever have any questions or you want to know anything about God, you can call me or my wife. But just listen to it and see what God might do. And now I just do that everywhere I go. I don't care who it is. The chances are that I'm, I won't see these people ever again, but I care about them being able to know who Jesus is. And I don't believe that that should be some kind of special circumstance reserved for pastors. I believe that as a congregation, we could be a group, of, a group of people who, once we know what we have, we will be compelled to share with others what they're missing. So that's the vision for this church, <clears throat> that we'd be united in our pursuit of Christ and we'd be united in our desire to share his love with the world. In Acts chapter 2, verse 1, it says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. This is how the church is birthed. Jesus dies on, on Easter, right? He resurrects on, on Easter Sunday. He dies on Good Friday. He resurrects on Easter Sunday. Then it says that... Um, after he's ministering to them, he goes back to heaven and they're sitting there in a room together and the Holy Spirit comes, fills everybody in the house. The Holy Spirit, again, didn't just fill the evangelists because they got to go out and tell everybody. Anybody who was there that believed in Christ got filled with the Spirit because they were all in the house of God. Acts chapter 2 goes on. Skip down to verse 14. It says, after they get filled with the Spirit, it says, Peter, standing up with the eleven, he raised his voice and he said to this group of people, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. Say all. all. Say me too. me too. Your sons, your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will have dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I'll pour out of my spirit in those days, and they'll prophesy. I'll show wonders in heaven above, signs on the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness, the moon into blood, but before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen. So this is the birth of the church. Right after this, it says this is when they first started calling us Christians. Because there was something different about us. There was a power that we walked with. There were dreams and visions and prophecy that were coming out of the people of God. So here's the picture again. Jesus is here. He leaves. The people say, let's gather in this building, in this warehouse, in the city of Brea. Let's just gather and get together and remember him and talk about him. And when we do that, the spirit comes into everybody who's there, it says. And then what do they do? It says, Peter stands up with the rest of the disciples and he begins to tell whoever will listen about Jesus. 
says you're going to have dreams, you're going to have visions, you're going to have young ladies get up here and give testimonies about things that they've dreamed. Like three or four people have hit me up in the last week after last Sunday talking about things that God is saying to him, to them, and dreams that they're having and visions that they're having. And Peter's not afraid. He just tells everybody who's willing to listen, listen, if you believe, you'll be saved. God will change your life. Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. So this idea of unclaimed wealth. Matthew 13, 44 says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and he hid it. For joy over it, he goes and he sells all that he has and he buys that field. And again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, he went and sold all that he had and he bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea and gathered some of every kind. So I love the picture and the progression here of, of this wealth or this kingdom that, that has been made available to us. First, it says that you find the treasure and you sell everything you have to get the treasure. Okay, so that's finding Christ. You hear about Jesus, you come into the church, you realize, oh God, he's for real. He's alive. He's valuable. And what do you have to do? You have to sell everything else that you have if you want him. You can't keep some of your old stuff and take on the, the Christ. You got to get rid of everything and say, okay, I'll take the Christ. Then it says after that, you know, you hid the treasure, you found the treasure, you sold everything. Then it says it's like being a merchant seeking pearls. So that's the picture I have as a Christian, is that I already have Christ, but now I'm out on the open sea and I'm looking for pearls of wisdom. I'm literally looking for gifts that God has for me. So you go out seeking and every now and then when you read your word, your word you're like, oh, look it, this is a pearl. Amen. Amen. Every now and then you come to a Wednesday night service like, oh God, look it, this is a pearl. You come to a Sunday service and maybe you've been kind of coasting and not really feeling the presence of God and then bam, something happens. Oh God, this is a pearl. You have these things that you're finding along the way in this journey. And then God says in the progression, he says the kingdom is also like a dragnet that goes out and gets everybody. So I found the treasure. I found the Christ. I sold everything. I'm out on the ocean. I'm looking for pearls and I continue to find them. And then while I'm out there, I'm like, you know what? I should probably drop a net and see if I can be a fisher of men or a fisher of women. So as I pursue Christ and his gifts, that they could come along with me. Amen. Sounds a lot like the two things I want to do as a church, as a Christian and as a church for the next 10 years. I want to pursue him so I can really know what it is that I have. And I want others to be made aware of what it is that they're missing. That's the kingdom, it says. This idea, again, of unclaimed world or, or wealth, it makes so much sense to me. So imagine you go to the store this morning. I bought uh, McDonald's oatmeal for the whole family. And the guy gives me my change back, right? And... I don't like having change. It seems like every time I go somewhere, it's like $19.02. So they're going to give me 98 cents back. I just hate it. Matter of fact, I'll just ask them sometimes, hey, man, just give me a dollar, bro. <laughs> I don't even have the two cents. Just give me a dollar. Because <laughs> I don't like the change. Because it's always jingling around in your pocket, or you get in the car, and you throw it in the little door, or you throw it in that little change case, right? So just imagine you're, you're going out through your day and you buy some food and, and you get that change and you throw that 98 cents into the change drawer and you, and you forget about it. And what about if, if one of those nickels, though, was like a buffalo nickel? 
and it's worth $75,000 and you have no idea, it's just sitting in your door. It's unclaimed wealth. Niall brought me one, a buffalo nickel. Look, Dad, my nickel looks different. I jacked it from him, put it in my wallet. It's like, but I'm gonna look this up. <laughs> and you know what the reality is? I haven't looked it up and now I don't know where it is. It could literally be worth hundreds or, or thousands of dollars. Might be worth nothing, but you, you understand the concept, right? It's unclaimed wealth. Imagine you find an old box of, of cards. Same thing happened to me. My, uh, my grandmother called me over one day, and this was within the last five years, and she gave me a little thing of, of, of football cards that I had from the time that I was a kid that got stuck under one of her drawers. So now they're literally like 30 years old, and some of them are, are valuable. But it's unclaimed wealth if it's stuck under a drawer somewhere. It could be worth thousands and thousands of dollars, but it's unclaimed wealth. How many of you either have an old car or you know somebody that has like an old car parked in their backyard somewhere, there's grass growing all over it? You remember that? You've been dragging this thing around because it's been handed down generation after generation. Imagine that old piece of junk that you say you're going to restore one day. Imagine you find out that it's not just like a normal old car, that maybe they only made two or three of them. And even in its jacked up condition, the way it looks right now, it's worth millions of dollars because it's, it's literally almost priceless because there's only two or three of them out there but it's sitting in somebody's backyard with weeds growing all around it. Question this morning is, in your life and in my life, how much wealth has gone unclaimed? How much wealth has gone unclaimed? I've got three things I want to share with you. The first is, for the next 10 years at The Way, we endeavor to share with the members of this church what you have in Jesus. You want to know what we're going to do and how we're going to do it? We are going to endeavor. We are going to pursue. We are going to do everything in our power to share with every one of you what it is you really have in Jesus. What's in your backyard growing weeds? What's in your little change drawer that you have no idea about, right? What cards are underneath a desk somewhere? When it comes to your relationship with God, we want to share with you what is it that you have in Jesus, so far, don't get me wrong, I feel like we've done that, but I think it's been done by the grace of God. You know, God just said, hey, this is who you are, this is what you're going to do as a church, but for the next 10 years, we're going to do it on purpose. <laughs> we're going to do it with some intentionality behind it. We're not going to wait for you to log on to a website and see if you have any unclaimed wealth. That's what they tell you on that show. It said, go to your state website, type in your name, and then it'll pop up and say, you know, you have $87 from Guitar Center waiting for you. If you go to the website, that's what it's going to tell you when you put your information in there. But as a church, we're not going to wait. How many of you have ever gone to one of those websites to see if you have any money out there? Four people. You see what I'm saying? That's not good enough percentages. <laughs> and the church isn't going to wait. That's what the church typically does. It says, hey, come to church. Come to church, and then hopefully we can tell you about some wealth that you have out there. No, we're going to come knock on your door like Publishers Clearinghouse with a check that says you have unclaimed wealth. Spiritually, that's what it's going to be like when you come to church on Sundays, when you come to church on Wednesdays, when you come to prayer services, when you go on outreaches, when you come to women's events. It's going to be a check that's waiting for you. Hey, unclaimed wealth. This belongs to you. It's not ours. We're just holding it for you. Watch out. So how many of you know that we serve the triune God? Yes. He's Father, He's Son, and He's Holy Spirit. 
So you might be able to say that he's a three-dimensional God, right? He's 3D or 3G. <laughs> Listen to what it says about our God. We are the only ones that have the true God, and this is the only God that's like this. He's Father, He's Son, He's Holy Spirit. It's not three gods, it's one God with three personalities, three attributes. Romans chapter 1 verse 20 says this about our God. Since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen. Our Bible says some crazy stuff. <laughs> it's invisible, but it's clearly seen. It says, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Since the beginning of creation, everything God created that you see outside, everything God created, which includes you and I, it says that it's clear to see who he is, how he is, what he is. Nobody has an excuse. It says even his power and his Godhead. When it talks about the Godhead, that's what it means is the Trinity. That you can see even the Trinity from creation. I'm going to do a little experiment here with you guys in a second. Matter of fact, I'm going to do it right now. This is a box. Say box. box. This is a cube. Say cube. cube. Say ice cube. Ice. I'm just kidding. You don't have to say that. So this fullness of God, his power and his Godhead, the Bible says that since creation, it's clearly visible. It's clearly able to be seen. So this cube is going to represent the fullness of God. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 says, God said, let us, say us. Us, us means more than one. Somebody say amen. amen. God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So man is created in the image of God. Somebody say amen. amen. We are not God. We are not the fullness of God. We are not the cube, but we are made in the image of God. Ray, can you hit the lights for me? All of them, please. There you go. So you've got God. Let's see if this works. Who is this cube? And then you have us who are made in the image of God. You see us over there? We're 2D. He's 3D. But we're made in his image. When you see us, although we're two-dimensional, we don't get to go up and down to heaven and everywhere and do all the things that he can do. We still bear the image of God on us. When you see us, you see a portion of the Godhead. Somebody say amen. 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 Ready to get the lights for now? So he's the cube. We bear his image. It's not, let's go on. <laughs> we couldn't bear the complete Godhead right. because we're not capable. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. If, if we tried to put all of God into me or into you, we would explode. <laughs> so what he says is you're going to bear my image. It's clearly seen that we're him and that he's us. But it's not the completeness of God or his Godhead. We just bear his image. So here's the thing. Man falls. Man says instead of worshiping God, we want to worship the creature. Instead of worshiping the creator, we worship the creature. That's what the Bible says, right? So we lose 
the image and we lose the power of God. And it seems as if we're going to be lost forever. But then this miracle happens. Say miracle. Miracle. Philippians chapter 2 verse 6 says this. Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. What that means is that Jesus is God. He bears the same form and he's not robbing God, trying to take God's glory. He is God. He's equal with God. But he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. So watch what happens here. God, who is the cube and he's the fullness and he's all of God, right? He shines this light down to the earth and we bear his image, which is that, that 2D image that you saw on the wall. And because we've been lost, right, because we've run away from God and it seems like there's not going to be any more hope for us ever, ever, ever again. God says there's only one way for me to reverse this. He says, if man, let's do it again right now. Ray, hit those lights real quick. Man bears the image of God, right? And then we fall. And God is still God, but there's no more image of God in us. And what does God say? Since man can never bear the image of God again because of his sin, God will come and bear the image of man. Jesus comes as one of us. He comes into a two-dimensional world and lives as if he's one of us when he's really not. Hit the lights, Ray. When you talk about the miracle that God has done, it says that he's Emmanuel, God with us. We can no longer bear his image, which means we're going to be separated forever. And then he says, no, you know what? I'm going to come and bear their image so that I can bring them back into relationship with me. So when the Bible says that we are but a shadow and a vapor, It's true, but what a wonderful shadow. What a wonderful vapor we are. Psalm 91 verse 1 says this, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Hosea 14 7 says, Those who dwell under his shadow will return. They shall be revived like grain and they will grow like a vine. We bore the image of God. We lose the image of God. God comes in our image, and then we are hidden within Christ. We're hidden within his shadow, within his image. He looks like us, but we become the new man in Christ. We have this fullness of the Godhead in the cube. We have Jesus taking the form of a man, and as if that's not enough, it gets better. Say, who's in the cube? Say, who's in the cube? cube? Say, who's in the cube? The The Father and the Son, we see clearly, but it's the Spirit that holds the greatest of all the mysteries in our faith. Matthew 12, 31, Jesus says this, Every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven of men. There's nothing you can do that God will not forgive you of. Somebody say amen. Amen. Says, but, there's one thing. But the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. You cannot not believe in the whole Trinity. 
You cannot say, I'll take the Father and the Son, but I'm not into that spirit. Jesus says, if you don't want the spirit, you can't have me because we are three in one. It's a package deal. You get the whole image that we can see is the Father. Then you get the Son who comes in, into our realm and bears our image. And then he says, inside here, you can't see it, but you know there's something in here. And it's my spirit. If you don't want it, if you don't believe in it, you can't have the rest of us. The greatest unclaimed treasure that I believe that's known to man is the work and the life and the power of the Spirit of God. Yes. It's there, and most of us... Step back, Lord. Deep breath. It's there, and there are many who have not claimed it. There are many who either walk over it, dump more dirt on it, for whatever reason, do not want the Spirit of God alive in their life. When we read the scriptures, they're in the room, the Spirit comes, and then power, presence, change, transformation, salvation goes forward. But we, for whatever reason, we will not pursue the Spirit of God. When's the last time you got on your knees and you said, Oh God, fill me with your presence, fill me with your power, fill me with your Spirit, reveal yourself to me. But we'll ask God for all kinds of other treasure. God, give me a better job, fix my marriage, do this, do that. <laughs> I want to give you my spirit. No, 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 I don't need that. I already go to church. Colossians 1.26. The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations now has been revealed to his saints. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory? God says nobody understood this. Nobody really uh, could fathom it. Nobody was able to receive it. And he says, now that I have sons and daughters that I call my saints, the saints, those who are filled, those who are saved. He says, here's the real riches is that you can have him in you. Just like he's in the Godhead, he says that's really what it's all about is him getting in you. What you come to church today for? What are you looking for in life? What are you in pursuit of? What is your greatest desire? What, are, what is it that you want to grab a hold of and say, I've got it. I did it. I have it. I'm complete. God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's the spirit that completes or fills the Godhead, and it's the spirit that completes and fills us. John 14, 25, Jesus says this. These things I've spoken to you while being present with you. Remember, Jesus has taken our form, so just picture that, that uh that shadow on the wall with our form, he says, listen, I've been talking to you guys about things while I've been in your form. I've been with you every day, walking with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and he will bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Jesus says, listen, what you have in me is the first treasure, and there's nothing like it. That's how you get saved. 
He says, but moving on from there, it's all about the spirit. I leave peace with you. And it's not the worldly peace that is external, right? That just gives you this shadow of love and this shadow of peace. He says, I give you an internal, right, love that'll come and dwell in you. That'll give you true peace and true riches. Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He says, I'm dead. The life that I now live, it's not me who lives anymore. It's Christ in me. Right? That's what Paul is saying. I used to have this life. I used to have a shadow of a life. And I used to be longing to have that image and that stamp and that imprint of God upon me. And I could never find it. I never had peace until Jesus came and he took my image. He took my form. Right? And now he sent his spirit to come live inside of me. I don't even live anymore. He lives inside of me. I've been praying. I've been studying. I've been reading. Uh, some of you are going to get to one of the books in our courses. It's going to change your, your life. <laughs> but this idea of being the church and having God alive inside of you is not just a mental idea that Christians should be spouting out of our mouths. Amen. It's not just something we should say, I'm a Christian. I have the Holy Spirit. He lives inside of me. No, it should be earth shattering. It should be... Um, you shouldn't even have to say anything because it should just come across that something's different about you. Amen. If he lives inside of you the same way, imagine, remember when Jesus walked into your life and changed everything. Yes. Anybody remember that? Say amen. amen. So what happens when you walk into a room? Don't tell me you're filled with his spirit if it doesn't change everything. Or are we filled with the knowledge of who Jesus is instead of the reality of his presence inside of us. So I'm going to share a story about what I feel like is this happening from the scriptures. This is Luke chapter 24 after the resurrection. It says, verse 24, or excuse me, chapter 24, verse 12 says, Peter, he arose and he ran to the tomb and stooping down, he saw the linen clothes lying by themselves and then he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. Now behold, two of them, these are two of the, the other disciples, they were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus. It was seven miles from Jerusalem, and they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with him, with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and you're sad? Then one of those whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which have happened here in these days? I'm going to stop there just for a second. It's not in my notes, but I want to share it with you guys. So here's the picture. They know Jesus. They know about Jesus. Now they're walking and Jesus is walking with them, but they don't recognize him. How can you know him, but you don't know him? Does that make sense? That's how a lot of quote-unquote Christians are. We know because we've heard and we've gone to church and we've seen the cross, right? But he can be walking with us, and if his spirit is not alive inside of us, we will not recognize him. They said, are you the only one that doesn't know what's happened here in these days? So they can talk about Jesus and they can talk about the, the crucifixion, but they don't know him. 
Many of us can talk about Jesus. Verse 19. So he said to them, well, what happened in Jerusalem? What things are you talking about? And they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all the people. How the chief priests and the rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and, he, and they crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company arrived at the tomb early and they astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that, or excuse me, saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. So picture these two men. They're walking, they're talking, they don't recognize Jesus, but he's there. And what are they saying? We thought he was going to help us. We thought he was going to restore our marriage and our family and our kids and give me a job and give me peace and heal my addiction and forgive me. We thought he was going to do all these things. And he's like, I'm right here. He's right there. He's right there in our lives. All the things we're asking him to do, we're focused on the things and instead of being focused on him. He's right there. And what do they say? Today's the third day. Not only is he there, but it's the day he's doing all the things that they wanted him to do. You know what happens sometimes? We'll probably be praying and complaining about what God isn't doing, and there he is with this unclaimed treasure. <laughs> He's like, I'm here. I brought it. This is what you've been asking for. But you won't even look because you want to complain to me about what I haven't done in your life. That's what's happening with these men. He said to them, Oh, foolish ones. <laughs> You're slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ who have suffered these things to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Jesus starts off by saying, you're foolish. He shines the light on the Godhead on the cube and it, and it puts that image of Jesus as a man. And he says, isn't this what was supposed to happen? I have to come like you and then I have to die so I can enter into my glory that you guys can come. And then because they don't understand, he starts all the way back at Moses. Say Genesis. Genesis. He starts at Genesis and he says, let me tell you guys all the things about me. <laughs> they don't know it's him yet, but he's like, you know right here when it says that they were kicked out of the garden and a flaming sword was there, the spirit, that's me. <laughs> You know right here when they put the blood on top of the doorpost and they were able to go out of Egypt? That's me. <laughs> you know right here where Joshua wants to take Jericho and a man shows up with a sword and says, take your shoes off of your feet. This is holy ground. Amen. That's me. <laughs> and he goes through the whole scriptures with them. But we won't pick this thing up, but we want Jesus. I love it. It's one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. He expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. <laughs> then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone further. Right? So they're at their stop. And he's like, well, I'm going to keep going. I've got places to be. They constrain him saying, abide with us. It's toward evening. The day is already far spent. So he went in to stay with them. And it came to pass as he sat at the table with them that he took bread. He blessed it and broke it and he gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they knew him and he vanished from their sight. They have communion. 
right? They sit down and I'm like, man, he taught us a lot about the Bible. That was amazing. And something special about this guy. Don't you think something special about him? Yeah, he's kind of cool. <laughs> and they sit down, right? And I'm, listen, they're, they're some of the disciples. So they've been with him at different parts throughout these years that he's been ministering. So he sits down and they're like, man, he sure, he sure is breaking that bread like Jesus used to break it. Man, he sure is pouring that wine like Jesus used to pour it. Man, if he hands it to me first like he always does, I'm going to lose my mind right now. Then he handed it to him first, he's like, oh, and then he's gone. Bam, he's gone. <laughs> they said to one another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road? He opened the scriptures to us. They arose that very hour and they returned to Jerusalem and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together. So, when this happens, where do they go? The church. They have a moment with God, an experience with God, a revelation from God. They get another pearl, and they go running to the church to say, listen, we saw him. What have you guys seen? I love our meet and greet. Pastor uh, Steve talked about it. He's like, man, you guys go on forever, hugging and kissing and catching up with kids and all kinds of stuff. It's great. But that's not just like a meet and greet, a hug and kiss. It's like, man, you could see in the last week, yes, we've had some struggles, each and every one of us, but yes, we've also met Jesus this week yes. along our road. They come running to the church and they can't wait to get there. What do they say? They found the 11. Verse 34, the Lord has risen indeed and he appeared to Simon. Then they told about the things that happened on the road with them and he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Now as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace. So look. <laughs> Jesus comes. He gives you a moment. He gives you a revelation. He gives you a pearl. You come running back to the body, which is his bride, which is the church. And then when we're all together, just like when the Spirit's going to come a few days after this and fill everybody, Jesus always shows up where we are gathered and he says, hey, I'm here. Peace. What'd you come in with today? Some drama? That's fine. Come into the body and then Jesus is going to say peace. What'd you come in with today? Some anger, some frustration, some need, some anxiety, some depression? You're in the right place. And it's not, you're not here to check off your box to say, God, just remember, I went to church. <laughs> because that's a dead God. That's a dead God where you have to prove things and do things. The God that we serve says, just walk with me and talk about me. Gather with the body of believers. I will show up and be alive in your life. When people stay out of church for years, when, when we invite people to church, I always understand that it's a completely different vision. For them, why they're not here, and for me, why I, why I want them to come. It's like, listen, there's treasure for you. I don't need you sitting in a chair. It doesn't make me feel better about myself. What makes me feel better about myself is when Jesus says, hey, look. You see him leaving with that bag full of treasure? <laughs> you see? I got another one for them on Wednesday. Tell them to come. So the heart burns within us. We continue to seek and we gather with the body. Jesus continues to show up when we do gather with the body. And then he says, I have more peace for you. I'm going to breathe on you. I'm going to fill you with my spirit. It's not that complicated. <laughs> Here's the best news about unclaimed wealth that you and I have in Jesus. 
Even if we don't really understand what we have, we still have it. Does that make sense? So if I have that buffalo nickel in the car, or in, yeah, in the car in the little change drawer, or that car in the backyard, or those cards in my desk, if I don't understand that it's mine and claim it, if I don't uh, do that before I die, that wealth is gone forever. It did me no good. It's not necessarily the same thing with Jesus. That's yours no matter what. It does not expire. It can't be given to somebody else. It belongs to you. You may not be fully using it right now, but it's yours. And in many cases, God uses it for your benefit on your behalf without you even knowing about it. He's a good God. So number one, we endeavor to share with the members of the church what you have in Jesus. You and I are like the people that are on the road to Emmaus where every time we begin to gather and talk, every time we come to church, Jesus says he just comes alongside of us and he wants to share something new with you. He wants to show you himself in a way that you haven't seen before. And he's infinite, which means he can do that for the rest of your earthly life. And I believe he's going to do that for the rest of our heavenly life. Many of us think we're going to get to heaven and then it's going to be like the matrix where he's going to plug something in the back of your head. And he's going to say, now you know everything about me. Right there on day one. <laughs> for the rest of your life, billions and billions of years, every day you're going to learn something new about Jesus. That's exciting. Why wait till you get to heaven? But number two, for the next 10 years at the way, we endeavor to share with those who don't know Jesus what they can have in Jesus. Matthew 9, 9. Jesus passed on from there, and he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. And it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house that, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard that, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick do. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus is looking for the lost. Jesus is looking for the sick. Jesus is looking for sinners. Yes. He rolls up on Matthew, who is a tax collector. He's the most hated group of people in all of Israel because they work for the Romans but they're part of the Jews. They take all the money and wealth from the Jews and give it to the Romans and then they live pretty well because they're servants of Rome. Jesus walks up on one of them and he says, hey, follow me, come with me. He welcomes him into his house and then all of these tax collectors come in. And then the disciples have to come in and eat there too. And then the church is saying, what are you doing with them? Why are you talking to those people? As a church, we need to share the good news about Jesus and unclaimed wealth. We need to share it in our workplaces. We need to share it at the shopping mall. We need to share it with our friends and family at family functions. And I'm not saying, again, that you walk in to the next family function and start smacking people with your Bible. <laughs> hey, auntie, pow! Hey, nephew, slap! Y'all need Jesus. That's not what God is telling us to do. Jesus walked up and said, hey, Matthew, Follow me, man. Let's go. Let's have a meal together. I want to actually talk to you. I want to actually hear from you. How many of you with the people that you love and that you want to get saved, how many of you really know what's going on in their life? 
Are you waiting to hear from them what they're dealing with, what they're going through, why they're heartbroken, why they're hurting, or are you just looking for the first opportunity to hit them with the scripture? That's not how Jesus did things. I met with some pastors on Friday, and we're talking about something that happened in, in one, of their, one of their churches, but it was in one of their small groups that the pastor's actually a part of, the pastor and his wife. So I got to be careful about what I, what I share, but it was funny because, uh, you know, I'm one of the few, maybe only black pastors in the city. So whenever we get together, they always want to ask me ethnic stuff. <laughs> so they're having this, this uh, you know, small group at their house, four or five different couples. And they're like, hey, this one, this one lady, and she's not even black, this lady is, is Hispanic, and she's like, they're like, man, she kind of causes trouble. Every time we're in a meeting, she's like kind of, her personality is very outgoing, okay? <laughs> but there is a black dude <laughs> in, the, in the group, and him and his wife, right? So this, the black guy gets involved in this argument with the Hispanic lady, and everybody's in there, and it just blows up in this, in this small group. I mean, you would think we could get together <laughs> and have a Bible study. And at the end of it, the, the, the Mexican lady says, uh, or the Hispanic lady says, I'm done talking to you. Bye, Felicia. And then she gets up and, and leaves. And the pastor's like, what does bye, Felicia mean? And I just fell out. I just, I fell out. I fell out. <laughs> and so he began to tell me how he had to get on Google and look up bye, Felicia. And I thought to myself, Lord, for such a time of this, you have placed me with these men in the city. And the pastor began to tell me how they're really struggling. Like the couple doesn't want to come back because they feel so offended and disrespected. And the other couple is like, man, it's not that serious. And I was like, look, it really ain't that serious, man. It was just a movie. I'm sure when she said it, she said it in a jokey manner, even though the, the situation was tense, all that kind of stuff. And at the end of the conversation, I got down to the point where I was like, look, at the end of the day, though, what a great opportunity to, to have, because it sounds like the, the lady that said it was just a little bit less mature as a Christian, so on and so forth. I said, it'd be a great opportunity for, for the other couple for you to be able to say, hey, instead of just being offended, right, instead of just being angry, why don't we stop and say, why does she act like that? What's missing in her life? Why is she hurting why is she so aggressive and has to get her point across and has to win every kind of battle? Because we're all spiritual here, so why don't we act like spiritual, mature Christians and say, I can deal with being offended. Yes. If Jesus can be crucified, somebody could say, bye, Felicia, to me. Yes. And it's not their responsibility to be less offensive. It's my responsibility to say, as you offend me, let me figure out why you're so offensive. Will we be a people who are able to, even in the face of adversity and offense, tell people, listen, you have unclaimed wealth. Whatever you want to say to me and do to me and however you want to behave in the process, I'm just going to keep coming to tell you that I love you and you have unclaimed wealth. Yes. Amen. <clears throat> Here's a story about uh, some believers uh, sharing with the unsaved about their unclaimed wealth. This is Acts 16, 16. So it happened as they went to prayer, which we should be doing, somebody say amen, amen. that a certain slave girl possessed with the spirit of divination met us. She brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. 
So any of you guys think that, that tarot card reading is not real and palm reading is not real? This is the Bible and it says that it's real. They have a spirit of divination able to divine things in a spiritual realm. The Bible also says don't mess with them and to flee from it. But it's real. And it says that Paul and Silas in the story, they're praying and then they go into this city to share the love of God. And one of these young ladies comes to them, but she's a slave. She's bound and she has masters that she brings profit to. This girl followed Paul and us, and they cried out. She cried out, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God. They proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed, he turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. See, when we talk about God being alive inside of us, this is an example of God being alive inside of somebody. Paul has the Spirit of God living inside of him, and when he commands this evil, demonic spirit to come out of somebody, it's not because of the words of Paul, it's because of the Spirit of God inside of him. And the Spirit leaves. Leaves this young woman, right? When her master saw that their hope of profit was gone that very hour... They seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. They brought them to the magistrates and said, These men, being Jews, they, they trouble our city. They teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans to receive or observe. Then the multitude rose up together against them. The magistrates tore their clothes and commanded that they be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them secure. Having received such a charge, the jailer put them into the inner prison, fastened their feet in the stocks. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. We can't even pray and sing in church. You see the difference of somebody who's filled with the Spirit of God? If you come into church and will not pray, if you come into church and will not sing, don't say you're filled with the Spirit of God. These men are filled with the Spirit of God. They're in the worst situation you can be in. They're beaten and imprisoned, and they're praying and singing. The prisoners were listening to them, it says. And then verse 26, suddenly there was a great earthquake. The foundation of the prison was shaken. Immediately the doors opened. Everyone's chains were loosed. The keeper of the prison awoke from his sleep, seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled. He drew his sword and he's about to kill himself. And Paul called with a loud voice saying, do yourself no harm. We're all here. They called for a light. They ran in. They fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. He brought them out and he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Look at this. Because of the way Paul and Silas behave when they're in prison, because of the way that, that instead of running for their lives and taking freedom, they said, we don't have to go anywhere. We're already free. Amen. You may think I'm a prisoner, but I'm free in Christ. I don't have to go anywhere. They don't even have to preach. Amen. They don't even have to live a, or, or lead a Bible study. The guy comes in and he can figure it out for himself. He says, you pray and you worship when the rest of us would cry. And you don't run when the rest of us would. You have something I don't have. They say, what, what do I have to do to be saved? They said, believe on the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. You and your household. Can you hear it? They tell them, hey, you got unclaimed wealth. 
Don't think you have to do a lot. All you have to do is log into the website and type your name. <laughs> That's it. All you have to do is, is ask Jesus, and he'll write your name in the Lamb's Book of Life. That's it. That's what they tell him. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him, to all who were in his house. He took them the same hour of the night, watched their stripes. Immediately him and all of his family were baptized. And when they had brought them into his house, he set food before them, and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. And when it was day, the magistrates sent officers saying, hey, let those men go. So the keeper of the prison reported these words to Paul saying, hey, the magistrates, they've sent to let you guys go. Now just go, depart, go in peace. But Paul said to them, man, they've beaten us openly. We're uncondemned Romans and they've thrown us into prison and now they want to put us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and get us out. You want to talk about some strong men and women of God? Paul's like, look, we didn't run when we could get free. We led you and your family to the Lord. Now we're back and they're going to say you can let us go. So we're supposed to just pack up our stuff and, and take off walking with our tail tucked as if we've been done some good favor. No, you put us in here. You beat us. You come tell us that we can go. So these men of God, filled with the Spirit of God, they come into the city, they're casting out demons, they love people. Wouldn't it have been easier for them just to stay with the disciples, praying together and having a good time? If you think your Christianity is going to consist of being around just the brethren and having a good time, you have not read the Bible. We have to go back out into that world, and we have to risk going to prison. And when we do go to prison, we need to pray and we need to worship when we get there. And when people say, why don't you go? You're free to go. We need to say, look, we were free before we got here. Amen. They're the ones who are in prison. I'm going to bring this to a close right now. I have one more point. But listen, Paul and Silas go into the prison and they've got the, the stocks on their feet and they're in the inner deepest parts of the prison and everybody thinks they're the prisoners. But they're looking around and they're saying, you guys are the prisoners. They told him, you got unclaimed wealth. So we're going to share with the members of the church what you have in Jesus. We're going to share with the world what they can have in Jesus. And the last one is to seek first the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom. What do you do when you leave here this morning? Should you focus on your unclaimed wealth? Should you focus on the unclaimed wealth of the lost? What do you do? Matthew 6.33 says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. I believe that we're going to be intentional about building people up here every week saying here's your treasure, here's it's unclaimed, it's yours, it belongs to you. I believe we're going to go out into the world and tell people about worth and value and what God has for them too. But I think it'll happen naturally if we seek the kingdom first. Instead of it being this rigid, like, you come in here, I've got treasure for you tonight. Here it is. <laughs> or like, hey, let's get the sidewalk sanctuary. Let's put our shirts on. Let's run out there and tell people, you need Jesus. That's great. However, I think what's greater is if we just focus on the king and the kingdom, those things will just happen. <laughs> people come in here and take treasure, and we'll go out there and give treasure to people. But we got to keep our eyes and our hearts focused on the kingdom first. God put this idea in my, in my head and in my heart this week. It's called the, uh, 
Depressionlessness of Jesus. If anybody asks you, I made that word up. <laughs> Depressionlessness, all right? It cannot depreciate. It's depression, depressionless, depressionlessness. <laughs> depressionless, right? It won't depreciate. And the depressionlessness means it's an ongoing idea, that it never will depreciate. We can always profit and we can give as much of Jesus away as we want, and there'll still be more than we can ever imagine for ourselves. Amen. That's the idea. Listen, you don't have to go running around trying to get everything that you can to be blessed for you and your family. And you don't have to also go running around saying, how much can I, how much can I give to people? They just have no idea, and I, I just got to get it to them as quickly as possible. The idea is just keep your eyes focused on Jesus, keep your heart focused on the kingdom, and then... All those things will be added to you. Your family and you as an individual will be blessed beyond belief, and the people that you encounter will be blessed beyond belief. He doesn't say, put a business plan together to reach the lost and a business plan together to reach the saved that they would grow. He says, seek me first and everything else will be done. So in closing, what does it mean to seek first the kingdom? If you're a note taker, I encourage you to write these one down. Write it, text it to yourself, whatever you got to do. To seek the kingdom first. Is Jesus and his kingdom first in your finances? That's F. You want to say that you seek him first and you seek the kingdom first? Ask yourself this morning. You know this church. You know how we are. Unless you are a ministry leader or an elder, I'm not looking at your finances. You need to figure this out. If you want to know if you are one who seeks the kingdom first this morning, is Jesus and his kingdom first in your finances? Is Jesus and his kingdom first in your interests? That's the I. What are you interested in? If you ask me, I can't wait for Infinity War to come out next Friday. I'm going to be there because I'm interested. I played basketball this last Thursday. I played basketball this Saturday morning. I'm going to be playing basketball next Thursday. I'm interested in that. I'm going to take my wife on dates. I'm interested in that too. But you know what's first in my interest? The kingdom of heaven. Amen. It's first. If I never play basketball again, I'm okay. If I never talk about Jesus again, I'll die. First in my interest is God. I don't care what I have to miss, what I don't get to be a part of. I am interested in Jesus. I am interested in his word. I am interested in his church, his bride. First. Say first. First. Is Jesus and his kingdom first in your finances? Is Jesus and his kingdom first in your interests? Is Jesus and his kingdom first in your relationships? That's R. Is he first in your relationships? Number one, do your relationships honor God? How you are in your relationship, right? Those who you are in close, intimate relationship with, is he first? Because if you look at your friendships and you look in your relationships and Jesus is not first, then don't say you're seeking the kingdom first and don't say that he's the priority in your life. Jesus says, look, I'm going to go and I'm going to eat with, with publicans. I'm going to eat with tax collectors. I'm going to meet women at the well. But I'm going to be walking with these 12 disciples first. Because these are the 12 that are going to turn the world upside down and proclaim the truth about who I am and what I have to offer people. Who's first in your relationships? Is Jesus first? If he says, do this, 
and Jesus says, do that, who's first? If she says, I want this, and Jesus says, you need to do that, who's first? If the kids say, I want this, and Jesus says, no, who's first? Woo, it's getting personal. Some of you are like, see, I, shouldn't, I know I shouldn't take notes. Now I got to remember this. <laughs> is he first in your finances? Is he first in your interests? Is he first in your relationships? For the S, is Jesus and his kingdom first in your schedule? I need like, you know when you go to the bank and they have that glass, like bulletproof glass? <laughs> so they can't shoot you? Don't get mad at me if he ain't first in your schedule. I plan my life around the things of God. I have more vacation than I ever have in my life. I have more activities than I ever have in my life. I got more stuff going on with my kids than I ever had in my life, but I schedule Jesus first. The team hit me up. The team is balling right now, my son's team. They won four tournaments in a row. They're about to go do an extra tournament in San Diego. And the coach is like, we're ready. We're taking the next step. We're going to move up in leagues. I just need to know from all the parents who can make it. Who's going to be there? Memorial Day weekend. And all the parents, so-and-so could be there. So-and-so could be there. And we can't wait, coach. We believe in you. And we believe in the team. And I'm like, hey, Nate could be there Saturday. I hope you win. But Jesus first in our schedule. I will sacrifice to drive all the way to San Diego so he can play basketball as a 10-year-old on a Saturday. Have him have two games. Let him have three if you want to. But we're going to drive all the way back and be in church on Sunday morning whether I'm preaching or not. Because he's first in my schedule. And then when my son is 25 and he don't want to go to church, I won't be able to look back and say it's because I didn't show him that Jesus needs to be first in the schedule. I don't want to look back and, and him say, well, Dad, if Jesus is supposed to be first, why were we always running around? Why every time something else came up, we left the church? Why every time there was a tournament, we didn't show up? Is he first in your schedule? And man, it's so easy. The way church is these days, you go to church any day of the week. Good Lord, help me, Jesus. Last one. Is he first in your finances? Is he first in your interests? Is he first in your relationships? Is he first in your schedule? And is he first in your troubles? When it hits the fan, is he the first one you go to? Do you say, oh, Lord, let me just spend some time reading because I'm so anxious and lost and scared and frustrated right now. Where's, where's my Bible? Amen. Do you drop to your knees and just pray? Who do you call? Who do you talk to? Is he alive inside of you where you go internal and you say, Spirit of God, you live inside of me? Deep breath right now. I'm losing it right now a little bit, Lord. These people are driving me crazy. The job is driving me crazy. I'm tired. I'm overwhelmed. Whatever it is, do you go to him first? Or have some of you been trying to call me? I love you guys, and I'm here for a reason. But what it should be is, God, help me. And I'm waiting to hear from you. Who have you placed in my life to help me, to encourage me, to disciple me, to lead me? Because I'm going to reach out to them too, but, but I'm going to reach out to you first, and then I'm going to reach out to you after, and then I'm going to keep reaching out to you because you are first in my troubles. I don't know about you guys, but I, I get into a lot of trouble. <laughs> I got troubles. I love the fact that he's there. 
Is he first? Seek first the kingdom. Finances, interest, relationships, schedule, troubles. If you can do that, then uh, <laughs> these other things are going to be very easy for you. The other things in your walk and gaining the treasure and, and, and uncovering wealth that's been unclaimed. I think you can do it. Isaiah, would you come? Seek first the kingdom and all its righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. The depreciationlessness of Christ. While you're seeking him first and his kingdom first in these areas of our lives, don't worry, you're not going to lose anything. You're going to have everything you ever wanted and then some. You're going to be one of those people that say, now that I've got it all, I realize that it's not really worth everything I thought it was worth. And those people begin to give of what they have. You know, I love that Pastor Allen got up here and he said that a friend all the way back from 17 years old when they were in high school gave his life to the Lord. Then he jumped on a plane and flew from South Africa to Brea to be in a weekend service because he's probably now first in that man's schedule. Somebody say amen. amen. And he shares the testimony and now he just gives money away. Because it doesn't mean as much to him as it used to mean to him. He's like, man, I got enough. I got everything I need and then some. And what I don't have, I'm not even concerned with it anymore. Because it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. What did Jesus have when he left the planet? <laughs> Relationships. men and women that he walked with and that he loved and that he cared for, that he sacrificed for, that he was willing to wash their feet, that he was willing to do all kinds of things. Why don't you guys stand with me this morning? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a story and then I'm going to close. Close us in prayer. When we talk about seeking first the kingdom, seeking first the king, seeking first the son, this, this story is called the son. It says, a wealthy man and his son loved to collect rare works of art. They had everything in their collection from Picasso to Raphael. They would often sit together and admire the great works of art. And when the Vietnam conflict broke out, the son went to war. He was very courageous and he died in battle while rescuing another soldier. The father was notified and grieved deeply for his only son. And about a month later, just before Christmas, there was a knock at the door. A young man stood at the door with a large package in his hands. And he said, Sir, you don't know me, but I'm the soldier for whom your son gave his life. He saved many lives that day. And he was carrying me to safety when a bullet struck him in the heart and he died instantly. He often talked about you and your love for art. The young man held out his package I know this isn't much. I'm not really a great artist, but I think your son would have wanted you to have this. The father opened the package and it was a portrait of his son painted by the young man. He stared in awe at the way the soldier had captured the personality of his son in the painting. The father was so drawn to the eyes that his own eyes welled up with tears. He thanked the young man and he offered to pay him for the picture. He said, oh no, sir, I could never repay what your son did for me. This is a gift. The father hung the portrait over his mantle and every time visitors came to his home, he took them to see the portrait of his son before he showed them any of the other great works that he had collected. The man died a few months later 
and there was to be a great auction of his paintings. Many influential people gathered, excited over seeing the great paintings and having an opportunity to purchase one for their own collection. On the platform, there sat a painting of the sun. The auctioneer pounded his gavel. We'll start the bidding with this picture of the sun. Who will bid for this picture? There was silence. Then a voice in the back of the room shouted, we want to see the famous painting, skip this one. But the auctioneer persisted. Will someone bid for this painting? Who will start the bidding? 100, 200. Another voice shouted angrily, we didn't come to see this painting. We came to see the Van Goghs and the Rembrandts. Get on with the real bids. But still the auctioneer continued, the sun, the sun, who will take the sun? Finally, a voice came from the very back of the room, and it was the long-term gardener of the man and his son. I'll give $10 for the painting. Being a poor man, it was all that he could afford. A man in the second row shouted, now let's get on with the collection. The auctioneer laid down his gavel and he said, I'm sorry, the auction is over. What about the paintings? I'm sorry, but when I was called to conduct this auction, I was told of a secret stipulation in the will. I was not allowed to reveal the stipulation until this time. Only the painting of the sun would be auctioned. Whoever bought that painting would inherit the entire estate, including all the other paintings. The man who took the sun gets everything. Bow your heads, close your eyes with me this morning. <laughs> Seek first the kingdom. Seek first the sun, and all these things will be added to you. If you can see the sun, if you can see the value in the sun, if you're willing to take the sun, you have no idea what else you're going to receive. The unclaimed wealth is not in what the world sees or what the world has said. This is beautiful. This is valuable. It's what the Father says about the Son that matters. This morning, you're here, heads bowed, eyes closed. If you came into this place and you can say, I didn't walk in with Jesus. Or maybe I walked in with an understanding of him, like the, the men on the road to Emmaus where they knew some things about him, but he wasn't alive inside of them. This morning, God only has one thing to say to you. He says, who will take my son? Who will take my son? If you're here and you're not saved, you don't understand what it, what it means to have the Spirit of God alive inside of you. Every morning when you wake up, you feel His presence. Every night when you go to sleep, He confirms that He's there. He says all things are going to be added to you. He's the one that says you may be in prison right now, but you are not a prisoner. And he breathes on you and he says, peace. Not as the world gives peace, but as I give it. 
If you don't have that and you want it, you feel God, not my voice, the voice of God saying to you, knocking on the door of your heart this morning saying, take the sun, take the sun, take the sun. Nobody else sees it, but you see it. Nobody else is feeling it right now, but you are feeling it. Take the sun. I promise you, it's a treasure like you've never known before. And today it's being offered to you. If that's you, you're not saved, you don't have the sun, but you want to this morning, would you raise your hand so I could see you? Nobody's looking at you, nobody. Hey man, I see you. I see you, brother. Anybody else? Heads bowed, eyes closed between you and the Lord. You don't have the sun, but you want the sun. Anybody else this morning? Who will take the sun? The world can keep the Van Goghs and the Rembrandts. You want the sun. Anybody else before we move on? Hallelujah, Lord. Lord, for those that chose the sun this morning, let them have the whole estate. <laughs> you say it all belongs to them. You've already gone to prepare a place for them. You say that since you've gone, you will come back to receive them, that where you are, they will be also, Lord God. You also say that you will send your spirit. I pray in a powerful way, Lord, the same way that you sent it into the congregation when they first gathered to wait on you, Lord. Send it into these men's lives. We see the cube. We see the Godhead. We see Jesus bearing our image, Lord God. And now we want to feel your spirit alive inside of us. Have your way in the lives of these men, Lord. We're so grateful that we could be witnesses this morning. We're so grateful, Lord, that we see you doing the same things that you did in the past. You're doing them in the present, Lord. Build us up that we would be able to be a part of what you do in the lives of others in the future, God. For those of you that gave your life, we have a Bible for you. We have some information we're going to give you, and we'll grab you before uh, you leave out of here this morning. For the rest of us, if you're here, and right now, this morning, you would say to yourself, I want my un unclaimed wealth. <laughs> I don't want to keep missing it. I don't want to keep walking over it. I don't want to spend my life walking close to Jesus, but not really having him in me in a way that changes and transforms everything. My life and the lives of others. I want to be a man or woman who prays and worships in prison. I want to be a man or woman who carries the presence of God so that when I say to the enemy to get out of my friends, to get out of my family, to get out of this house, to get out of this workplace, that the enemy recognizes the Spirit of God and flees. I want to come into church on a weekly basis and claim what belongs to me. I want to give you just two minutes to pray because there's something else we need to do. But if that's you, just come to the altar quickly. I want to pray over you and then I'm going to release you. We've got one more thing to do. If that's you, unclaimed wealth, unclaimed treasure belongs to you. A faith and a walk with God where you don't leave anything buried. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord.
we seek you first, Lord. You are the preeminent one. Hallelujah. You are our peace. We seek you first in our lives from this day moving forward, Lord God. Help us to claim all of our wealth. We thank you, Jesus. The last thing I want to do, I'm going to call the elders and our wives up. So uh, Ray and Sarah, if you're not already down here, there they are. And Gary and Julia, is your wife in the building? Can we grab her real quick? And then Miss Mary. Uh, the elders and our wives, we're going to be going to a, a leadership conference. We had to take time off of work and do a bunch of different things and get our kids all taken care of. Um, and we're going to be gone from tomorrow through Wednesday, and we need your prayers. We need your support. We need your love. We need your encouragement. I believe strongly as a pastor of this church that what will transpire over these next couple of days is going to have a lot to do with what transpires over the next 10 years in this place. You know, the Bible talks about praying for those who lead you. It talks about um, uh, submission, and it talks about how these things are to your benefit. So I would ask that you guys would be willing to do that with us this morning. Um, the things that we are pursuing are not for us as individuals. It's so that we would be able to pray and lead and direct better as a church um, for where we want to go. I believe that there's things that God has for all of you. And if we're not where we need to be with the Lord, uh, we may not be able to lead you into those things and into those places. So, uh, uh, you guys, can you come up, please? Miss Peaches, as uh, the prayer ministry leader, would you come up? That's fine. You guys can come all the way up here. We're going to do it just like we do for the kids. We're all just children of God. Um, so if you guys would stretch your hands out towards these. And Miss Peaches, if you don't mind placing some hands on us, I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask you guys to pray with us. Like I said before, you know, these microphones hanging down for the whole choir. <clears throat> The Lord doesn't need to just hear my prayers. You know, he hears you. All of our voices together at once, you know, he hears them individually. It's not just this roar. He says, oh, I hear Sherry. I hear Vicky. I hear Joe. I hear Jonathan. I hear, you know what I mean? He hears us. And that's what we're asking is that he would hear you on our behalf for just a moment. So if you would stretch your hands. Lord, you've done a lot. You've done a lot over the years, Lord. You've ministered to and through many of us, Lord God. You have a church of ministers, Lord Jesus, that minister to the kids, that minister in different areas, Lord. But, but these, for this season, Lord, you have chosen for a particular purpose and a particular call, Lord God. I pray that over these next few days that you would give us peace instead of anxiety as we leave our children behind, Lord God that you would give us uh, patience with one another, that you would open our hearts, Lord, that you would set the table, that the things that are ministered to us, Lord, that they would fall on good soil, Lord God, that they would be planted deep, that they would be watered and able to bear fruit, Lord God. I pray that you would give us vision for the fruit that does come to pass, Lord, and that we would see others eating that fruit, Lord God being blessed, being nourished because of it, Lord Jesus. Our focus and our goal, our desire is you and you alone. You are first. We are seeking the kingdom, Lord God. We thank you for the body who's in this place, Lord God. We thank you that they believe. We thank you that they support. We thank you that they encourage. I just ask that you would bless, that you would bless, that you would bless, Lord God. There's nothing that we've lost that you haven't restored, Lord God. 
You have endless wealth for us and for our families, Father God. Help us to just pour ourselves out and to have faith, to have trust, Lord God. Build us up, Lord. Build us up. Pour into us, Lord. We thank you for those that you've sent from all over the country and all over the nation to be with us in this group this week, Lord God. We pray over them and their families, and we thank you that we would be able to receive from them this week, Lord God. Just have your way, Lord. Let the way be your way. Let us be your bride, Lord. We love you this morning. We thank you for these families. We thank you for these couples. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We give the Lord a hand. Thank you, guys. I want to pray over you. I'm going to release you. Lord, bless your people. Take care of your people, Lord God. Help us to seek you first, Lord Jesus. There's none like you. We have unclean. listening. The Way would love you to visit our church at 451 West Lambert Road, Suite 204 in the city of Brea. Our service times are Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. and Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.thewaybrea.com or you can download our church app by visiting your app store and searching The Way Brea. Be blessed.